0: The Executive, Powers Committed to the President of the United States, Article 2. Article 2, Section 1, Vests the Executive Power in the President of the United States of America. Unlike the commitment of authority in Article I, which refers to Congress only specifically enumerated powers herein granted and such powers as may be necessary and proper to carry out the same, Article 2 is all-inclusive in its commitment of the Executive Power in a President of the United States of America. Enumerated powers of the President. Several important powers are expressly committed to the President under Article 2, Section 2. These include. Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. Power to pardon offenses against the United States. Power to make treaties, with consent of the Senate, and the. Power to appoint judges, ambassadors, and other officers of the United States, often requiring Senate consent. The Presentment Clause, Article I, Section 7, C.L. 2-3. Grants the President the power to veto congressional legislation and Congress the power to override a presidential veto with a supermajority. Under the clause, once a bill has been passed in identical form by both houses of Congress, with a two thirds majority in both houses, it becomes federal law. First, the President can sign the bill into law. In this scenario, there is congressional agreement. Second, if not in agreement, the President can veto the legislation by sending the bill back to Congress within 10 days of reception unsigned and with a written statement of his objections. Third, the President can choose not to act at all on the bill, which can have one of two effects, depending on the circumstances. If Congress is in session, the bill automatically becomes law, without the President's signature, only with a two-thirds majority of both houses. If, however, Congress adjourns during that 10-day period, the bill fails to become law in a procedural device known as the pocket veto. The bill becomes mute. The President approves or rejects a bill in its entirety, he is not permitted to veto specific provisions. In 1996, Congress passed, and President Bill Clinton signed, the Line Item Veto Act of 1996, which gave the President the power to veto individual items of budgeted expenditures and appropriations bills. The Supreme Court subsequently declared the Line Item Veto unconstitutional as a violation of the Presentment Clause in Clinton v. City of New York, 1998. The court construed the constitution's silence on the subject of such unilateral presidential action as equivalent to an express prohibition, agreeing with historical material that supported the conclusion that statutes may only be enacted in accord with a single, finally wrought and exhaustively considered procedure, and that a bill must be approved or rejected by the president in its entirety. The court reasoned that a line item veto would authorize the president to create a different law one whose text was not voted on by either house of congress or presented to the president for signature and therefore violates the federal legislative procedure prescribed in Article I, Section 7. Foreign Affairs and War Powers. The President has power as Commander-in-Chief to control the Army. Article I grants Congress the power to declare war and raise and support the Army and the Navy. However, Article II grants the President the power as Commander-in-Chief. The Supreme Court rarely addresses the issue of the President's use of troops in a warlike situation. Challenges to the President's use of troops in a foreign country are likely to be dismissed on political question grounds. The Supreme Court does not review political questions like whom to go to war with or how to handle rebellion since that is the power of the federal executive and legislative branches. Appointment and Removal of Executive Personnel. Article 2, Section 2 grants the President the power, with the advice and consent of the Senate, to appoint ambassadors, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States, whose appointments are not otherwise provided for in the Constitution. This includes members of the Cabinet, top-level agency officials, Article III judges, U.S. attorneys, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, among many other positions. Under the modern interpretation of advice and consent, a presidential appointment must be confirmed by majority vote in the Senate in order to take effect. Thus, in practice, the President holds the power to nominate, while the Senate holds the power to confirm. Article II Section 2 gives Congress the discretion to vest the appointment of inferior officers in either the President alone, the heads of departments, or the lower federal courts. Congress may not appropriate this role for itself, and Senate confirmation is not required for these positions. The President has the authority to remove most high-level executive officers at will. Congress, however, may place limitations on the removal of certain executive appointees serving in positions where independence from the Presidency is considered desirable such as stipulating that removal may only be for cause. Executive Immunity As a general rule, sitting presidents enjoy immunity from civil suits for damages arising from actions taken while in office. This rule was significantly curtailed by the Supreme Court's decision in Clinton v. Jones, which held that sitting presidents could in fact be sued for actions undertaken before taking office or for actions which are unrelated to the presidential office. The Judiciary, Jurisdiction of the Federal Courts, Article 3. Article 3 of the United States Constitution vests the judicial power of the federal government in the Supreme Court. The Judiciary Act of 1789 implemented Article 3 by creating a hierarchy under which circuit courts consider appeals from the district courts and the Supreme Court has appellate authority over the circuit courts. The Judiciary Act of 1789 provided that the Supreme Court would consist of one chief justice and five associate justices. There have been 9 justices since 1869. Powers reserved by the states. Although, for all practical purposes, the federal government does not actually govern by the consent of the states, some of the more important powers reserved by the states to themselves in the Constitution are. The power, by application of two-thirds of the legislatures of the several states, to require Congress to convene a constitutional convention for the purpose of proposing amendments to or revising the terms of the Constitution, see Article V. Suits Against States, Effect of the Eleventh Amendment. The 11th Amendment to the United States Constitution defines the scope of when and in what circumstances a state may be taken to federal court. Taken literally, the amendment prohibits a citizen from suing a state in federal court through the Sovereign Immunity Doctrine. However, the court has articulated three exceptions. One, particular state officials may be sued, two, states can waive immunity or consent to suit, and three, Congress may authorize suits against a state through the Abrogation Doctrine. However, concerning this latter exception, The Supreme Court has held in Seminole Tribe v. Florida that Congress may not, outside of the 14th Amendment, authorize federal lawsuits against states in abrogation of the 11th Amendment's guarantee of sovereign state immunity, intergovernmental immunities and interstate relations. The United States government, its agencies, and instrumentalities are immune from state regulation that interferes with federal activities, functions, and programs. State laws and regulations cannot substantially interfere with an authorized federal program, except for minor or indirect regulation, such as state taxation of federal employees. Rights of Individuals. Bill of Rights. First Amendment. Freedom of Expression. In the United States, freedom of speech and expression is strongly protected from government restrictions by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, many state constitutions, and state and federal laws. Freedom of Speech, also called Free Speech, means the free and public expression of opinions without censorship, interference and restraint by the government. The term freedom of speech embedded in the First Amendment encompasses the decision what to say as well as what not to say. The Supreme Court of the United States has recognized several categories of speech that are given lesser or no protection by the First Amendment and has recognized that governments may enact reasonable time, place, or manner restrictions on speech. The First Amendment's constitutional right of free speech, which is applicable to state and local governments under the incorporation doctrine, prevents only government restrictions on speech, not restrictions imposed by private individuals or businesses unless they are acting on behalf of the government. However, laws may restrict the ability of private businesses and individuals from restricting the speech of others, such as employment laws that restrict employers' ability to prevent employees from disclosing their salary to co-workers or attempting to organize a labor union. The First Amendment's freedom of speech right not only proscribes most government restrictions on the content of speech and ability to speak, but also protects the right to receive information, prohibits most government restrictions or burdens that discriminate between speakers, restricts the tort liability of individuals for certain speech, and prevents the government from requiring individuals and corporations to speak or finance certain types of speech with which they do not agree. Categories of speech that are given lesser or no protection by the First Amendment include obscenity as determined by the Miller Test, fraud, child pornography, speech integral to illegal conduct, speech that incites imminent lawless action, and regulation of commercial speech such as advertising. Within these limited areas, other limitations on free speech balance rights to free speech and other rights, such as rights for authors over their works, copyright, protection from imminent or potential violence against particular persons, restrictions on the use of untruths to harm others, slander and libel, and communications while a person is in prison when a speech restriction is challenged in court, it is presumed invalid and the government bears the burden of convincing the court that the restriction is constitutional. Freedom of religion. In the United States, freedom of religion is a constitutionally protected right provided in the religion clauses of the First Amendment. Freedom of religion is also closely associated with separation of church and state, a concept advocated by colonial founders such as Dr. John Clark, Roger Williams, William Penn and later founding fathers such as James Madison and Thomas Jefferson. The freedom of religion has changed over time in the United States and continues to be controversial. Concern over this freedom was a major topic of George Washington's farewell address. Illegal religion was a major cause of the 1890-1891 Ghost Dance War. Starting in 1918, nearly all of the pacifist Hutterites emigrated to Canada when Joseph and Michael Hofer died following torture at Fort Leavenworth for conscientious objection to the draft. Some have since returned, but most Hutterites remain in Canada. The long-term trend has been towards increasing secularization of the government. The remaining state churches were disestablished in 1820 and teacher-led public school prayer was abolished in 1962, but the military chaplaincy remains to the present day. Although most Supreme Court rulings have been accommodationist towards religion, in recent years there have been attempts to replace the freedom of religion with the more limited freedom of worship. Although the freedom of religion includes some form of recognition to the individual conscience of each citizen with the possibility of conscientious objection to law or policy, the freedom of worship does not. Controversies surrounding the freedom of religion in the U.S. have included building places of worship, compulsory speech, prohibited counseling, compulsory consumerism, workplace, marriage in the family, the choosing of religious leaders, circumcision of male infants, dress, education, oaths, praying for sick people, medical care, Use of government lands sacred to Native Americans, the protection of graves, the bodily use of sacred substances, mass incarceration of clergy, both animal slaughter for meat and the use of living animals and accommodations for employees, prisoners, and military personnel. Fifth Amendment The Takings Clause. Generally speaking, the Fifth Amendment prevents the government from taking private property for public use without just compensation. This prohibition on takings is applicable to the 50 states through the Fourteenth Amendment. A governmental taking includes not only physical appropriations of property but also government action that significantly reduces property or impairs its use. A government taking must be distinguished from a government regulation. With a taking, the government must fairly compensate the property owner when the property is taken for public use. If the government regulates property, it does not have to pay any compensation. A taking will be found if there is an actual appropriation or destruction of a person's property or a permanent physical invasion by the government or by authorization of law. The courts may also find a taking where a governmental regulation denies a landowner of all economic use unless principles of nuisance or property law that existed when the owner acquired the land make the use prohibitable. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution. Share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation. To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.